Welcome to Midnight Balloon, a light journey into darkness. This is Rodney Hom. And I'm Dr. Kathleen McCarthy. Welcome. Welcome. I used to date a therapist, and our date always began with my entering his office. And in his office, he would be sitting across from me initially, and we'd say her hellos. And then he'd guide me to the couch, and I would sit on the couch, and he would sit on the other end of the couch. And it was much like a therapy session. And it felt like there was a fireplace there, but there wasn't. The lights were very dim. And instead of a therapy session of myself, or for myself, he began to talk. And he would tell me about the time when he used to work as a therapist for a home for very troubled boys. These boys were convicted child molesters and child rapists. He would try to get them to become better people and try to understand what they were doing. And they were very serious, serious crimes. One young boy of not even a teenager went to a young girl of seven, a complete stranger, broke her arm and raped her. Another young boy of about 13 would sit outside a girl's window as she slept at night. She was on the second floor and would watch her for days until one day he broke into her place and taped her down with duct tape and violently raped her. He would tell me these stories and I think it was in part to relieve himself of this great burden. I asked him after telling me these stories, I said, do you think these people can be changed? These young kids can be changed? And he paused for a moment. And in that pause, I kind of felt that he was saying, I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe not. But before that third thought in my head could come out, he said, yes, I think they can. But he said it with weariness. And by saying it that way, I felt that he was saying that in part to convince himself. Because as a therapist, by saying no, it couldn't help. It would make his life seem fruitless and pointless. And so that's how the date would kind of begin. So that leaves us with the question, Kathleen. What is a bad seed? Well... In my opinion, I think a bad seed is a kid that's becoming dangerous to the people and animals in its life. Um, You know, they can't even diagnose a kid as being psychopath until they're 18 years old because their brains aren't even fully developed. And the term bad seed comes from a book, and it was originally a play written by William March in 1954. And it's basically about this kid, Rhoda, who's this eight-year-old, sweet, charming little girl, and her mother slowly comes to realize that the kid not just killed one person, but has killed multiple people. I noticed when you described the definition of a bad seed, you referred to the child as it. <laughs> I guess, uh, well, in my mind, you know, you're talking about a psychopathic little child. They're sort of not normal human beings, are they? Are you putting them in a subcategory or category? I guess I was, but I was doing it subconsciously, so I didn't even realize it. Wow. Well, yeah, that's pretty harsh. In in the bad seat, actually, the uh, little girl's mother, who 
well, her grandmother, Rhonda's grandmother, is actually a serial killer herself. And um, Rhonda's mother realizes that maybe these horrible traits in her own mother has skipped herself and has been passed down to her daughter. The reason why she thinks this, because we learn, or actually her mother learns, that her child has committed quite a few murders, right? Oh, yeah. First one was Rhoda won his penmanship award, and another kid won it, so they're at the school picnic. And when they're away from everybody else, she she follows the kid. She shoves, she steals his penmanship award. She shoves him into a pond and hides the award and goes back home and just pretends like she knows nothing. Well, as as you can tell, we're giving away a lot of secrets oh, of the uh, of the um, <clears throat> the bad seed, but it's, well, it's worth noting. Yeah, exactly. it's worth it's worth noting. We're gonna name a few more just to give you an idea of this child uh, in the story of the bad seed. Uh, little Rhonda begs her mother for a dog, and she gets one, but she kills it by dropping it out of the window simply because she's bored with it. So we have here, as you've noticed, uh, cruelty to animals, which we'll bring up a little later. Yes. And there's a neighbor who promises to give her a necklace after she's died, and Rhonda wants the necklace, and she speeds up the process by shoving the neighbor down a flight of stairs. And finally, her last murder is of the gardener. And the gardener always teases her with the threat of the electric chair. He says, they got a little blue chair for little boys, a little pink chair for little girls. And he said that to her because he sees right through her. He thinks they're kind of alike. And as a result of that, of course, little Rhonda kills him too. She doesn't just kill him. She waits till he's sleeping in the basement. She sneaks down and she burns him alive while he's in his bed. And, you know, in the in the book, it's interesting because they made a point to say that the gardener was actually in love with little Rhoda because he was probably a sociopath and he recognized her to be a psychopath. And he saw she was the first other person that he couldn't completely despise because she was as mean as he was. Oh, that's an interesting point. I, that could possibly be true. Well, it says that one in a hundred people are psychopaths. So just by horrible freak accident, <laughs> perhaps those two characters met. Yeah. Here's some uh, examples ripped from the headlines of other child murderers. So first one, Alyssa Bustamante. In 2009, when she was 15, she murdered a nine-year-old girl. Uh, basically, this poor little girl, Elizabeth Olton, what she did, Alyssa lured her into the woods. She strangled her. She stabbed her. She buried her in a shallow grave. And what's particularly chilling is uh, Alyssa wrote in her diary, in quotes, it was amazing. And she does spell it like that. As soon as you get over the, oh my God, I can't do this feeling. It's pretty enjoyable. I'm kind of nervous and shaky though right now. Okay, I got to go to church now. Laugh out loud. Alyssa also later said, I wanted to know what it felt like to kill someone. So obviously there's like a disconnect between how, how a person generally responds to such a thing to how she was responding. It was so distant from her. And that spectacular story was from um, Alyssa, another Alyssa, Newcomb, for the abcnews.go.com. And the title of that article was Teen 3L Killer Alyssa Bustamante Get Paroled Someday. The next story is probably a little more chilling. And that's Amardeep Sada. 
who he was, he's actually the youngest known serial killer in the world. When he was seven years old and he lived in India, his first two victims was his little baby sister and a baby cousin. Um, and his parents actually covered up the first two murders because they called it a family matter. Now on the third murder, he murdered a neighbor's little baby and then the village people got suspicious. They found him. They asked him about it, and he, being seven years old, admitted to it right away, took him out, and showed him what he did to the babies. And what he did was he just basically took him out and bashed him in the head with a brick. Um, and the police stated, when, when they questioned the boy, so why did you murder your little sister? And he smiled and said, can I have some biscuits? Wow, so that's very chilling. That, that, that is from an article by Peter Foster uh, in New Delhi. Uh, the, the magazine, the newspaper New Delhi, The Telegraph, January 6, 2007, and it was titled Serial Killer, Eight Years Old, Charged with Three Murders. Another story we might like to hear from is about, um, well, what is, what is her name? She's quite frightening. Mary Bell, 1968, in England, 11 years old, and she, she and a friend actually strangled and mutilated two preschool children. Now, Mary Bell later said, in quotes, I like hurting little things that can't hurt me back. She was released from prison in 1980 when she was 23 years old. And the press this whole time has been trying to locate her and they have not been able to locate her. But the one thing they did find out is she has a daughter who does not know that her mother is a killer. Which is very chilling. I mean, no wonder if it's a similar situation, if the daughter inherited any of her traits, if this is inheritable. And uh, is this something that you learn, unfortunately? And what happens when the daughter has a daughter? Exactly. Well, that article of Mary Bell was from uh, Michael Newton from the Encyclopedia of Modern Serial Killers Dash Hunting Humans. Mm, Creepy. So it says in the book, The Bad Seed, a character says, it's just that they are bad seeds, plain bad from the beginning, and nothing can change them. And these kids look like everybody else. Um, remember, they do call psychopathy the mask of sanity. Well, there, there are signs, despite the masks, there are signs. For example, uh, Lorna Benson wrote an article called Animal Cruelty May Be a Sign of Deeper Human Problems. And in it, a forensic psychiatrist named Farnsworth says, In a way, I would be more worried about the person who in secret captures animals and tortures them. End of quote. Jeffrey Dahmer did that, and as a youngster, he would capture animals and torture them, he says. So Jeffrey Dahmer eventually grew out of torturing animals and moved on to drilling holes into the heads of living victims. He killed 17 people. I wonder if his parents had any inkling that their son was like a budding serial killer. I think they probably did, and uh, that's going to be a question a little more down the road in this in this uh, podcast about... Um, what do you do if you have a um, a child who's a psychopath? Time magazine did an article just recently uh, this year called uh, Can Bad Men Change? And it was by Ileana Doctorman. In it, Cheryl, a clinical social worker, when she met the sex offenders she counseled, she said, the men look like her neighbors and friends and some genuinely wanted to change. She noted, sometimes these guys come in here complaining about having to drive a little further to get groceries because they're on the registry. And I tell them, to hell with you. Think of how your victims feel. The social worker is teaching these guys a new way to see things. 
But my personal answer is that you can't be there for every situation for these men to, to offer a logical answer. There's just a myriad choices and situations that they're going to come upon and you don't know if they're looking at it properly and you can't give a right answer for them every single time they're looking at something. The Atlantic also had an interesting article in their June 2017 issue, and it's called When Your Child is a Psychopath. Um, And they actually talk about there's some new clinical approaches that are offering hope for treatment for these kids. Weirdly enough, the treatment is very similar to how uh, Dennis and I trained our dog. Uh, Our dog's name is Daisy. And we were having problems with her because she was just bouncing off the walls crazy. So, and we took her to a dog training place and they told us, hey, you have a bully dog. Okay. And so they basically taught us that our dog responds better to rewards than punishment. Um, So basically they were like, don't punish her. Every time she does something good, give her a treat. She responds to food, period. So Kathleen, are we going to make a jump from a dog with no ill will towards someone and training a dog to someone with perhaps bad behavior and more than that, bad thoughts with just some retraining of the line of thinking for them? Where are you going with this? Well, the Atlantic talked about a treatment program that consists of two parts. First part's decompression. They get these kids in and these kids are allowed to act out. And what happens is the staff completely does not respond at all. When the kid finally gets tired of acting out, they start the reward system. And what happens is if the kids behave and follow the rules, they get candy, pizza, they get to play with Xbox. And basically it's called cognitive moral conscience, developing it. Basically they're telling the kids, if you play by the rules, good things will happen. Well, that may or may not work. I mean, they use that kind of thinking for the TV show Dexter, the character Dexter, who at a young age displayed serial killer urges. And his mother and adopted father provided Dexter with moral guidelines and they rewarded him so that Dexter would only kill bad people. Which brings us back to the book, The Bad Seed. And it's basically the mother, she's faced with a dilemma. Her child's a murderer, just like her own mother was. There's no end in sight. What should she do? I mean, what would we do, Rodney? Well, Kathy, if you found your child had taken your dog, Daisy, strangled Daisy, skinned Daisy alive, and then hung her head on a stick, much like perhaps, I don't know. Dahmer. (laughs) I have no idea what Dahmer (laughs) might do. What would you do realizing that your child is exhibiting these early signs of dangerous psychopathy? In essence, your little boy is a bad seed. Well, this is where the, first off, the doctor in me kicks in. And the doctor's advice is take the kid to the ER, a primary care physician, and get a full checkup. Make sure they don't have a brain tumor, something treatable. Um, if there's nothing there and that doesn't work, then I would get on Google and find the best mental health person who specializes in this and I would make an appointment and buy some plane tickets and I would get on a plane and take the kid there and see what we could do. Well, you know, Kathy, not not as a doctor. What would you do? What would you do? <laughs> okay, so this is assuming that I know for a fact that my kid is a budding serial killer. The medical system has completely f- failed me. Um, and? Well, 
Well, you're, you're, you're look, you're staring, you're, you're going to have to clean up this dog. You've got this dog with all its guts poured out. You've got your dog with its head on its stake. You've got this little kid smiling at you like, like a cat who gave you a bird on your pillow. Nice analogy. Oof. What are you, what are you doing? Okay. So at the risk of sounding like a total psychopath myself, I, I think I would just have to make sure the kid doesn't go any further in his life meaning probably kill him so you would kill your child is that the answer if i knew that kid was going to be a serial killer like a ted bunny and he's going to kill innocent people yeah i'm going to do it well all we know right now is what you're seeing in front of you so you've got to make some leaps of logic here well i'm saying the medical system has failed me the Mm -hmm. mental health system has failed me and this is out of control and this kid is growing up he's getting stronger and stronger and it's still within my control to do something, yes, I would probably kill my kid. That well, sounds terrible. It's, it's, it does sound terrible, actually. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would have to ask you a little few more questions. So, um, But I'm not judging you, actually. It may sound terrible, but I, I don't know. Let, let me ask you a few more questions. Okay. How, and how, how would you kill this child? Well, since we just... I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> let's, let's give the child a name. Let's call him um, uh, Dennis Jr. No! Dennis Jr. How would you how would you kill this child? Well, you always take it down to that level where it makes it even harder. Um, Okay, so I guess I'm going to take up sailing, and I hate sailing. Not that I've ever been sailing, but it looks horrible. And I'm going to rent a little sailboat. We're going to go out into the Pacific and sail, and he's going over the edge. Problem solved. And innocent people will live. And uh, is that the reason why you do this? Why would you do this? I mean, is this the real reason why you would do this? Well, what, 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 what do you think? What's your thought process? Well, my thought process is, is if I kill this kid and I save one innocent person, okay, you're not just saving that innocent person. You're saving all that innocent person's unborn children, their unborn children. And ultimately, you go down time and these family trees – Basically, I'm going to create less killer DNA going throughout the world and more good non-killer DNA. So if it's genetic, you're using the word DNA, by the way. Mm -hmm. If it's genetic and perhaps you yourself have this gene, then would you kill yourself? Uh, No, I just won't have any more children. (laughs) (laughs) I see. And what if the police... You know, with say we drag the lake or we or the body washes ashore. And it definitely looks like the child was pushed from behind some way. They figured it out through some magical law and order SVU, you know, forensics. And the police caught you for murder uh-huh. of Dennis Jr. Oh, well, Dennis how Jr. would you how would you go further with this? Well, I guess I'm going to get the best attorney. best attorney possible and i'm gonna try to get off the hook and if i can't get off the hook for it uh i guess i'm going to jail and if i go to jail and get a life sentence you know i played my cards and i lost and i just have to live with that but once in prison i think i'd write a book about the experience and I have plenty of time to write. Uh, I, I think it's against the law to actually benefit from your misdeeds. Well, here's the thing. That even if my money can go to a charity. 
I don't even think you can do that. Really? The whole idea. To a victim's thing? The whole idea is so perverse. I can't even believe you thought of it. Why? What are you talking about? No, I would write books. I would write books. I'd be in jail. I'd have nothing to do. I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. I would just write. And I'd probably do push-ups to make sure I tried to stay strong so I could, like, stay out of trouble. Um you know, I don't okay. know. You just All make right. a new life in jail. Stop. All right, so you'd kill your kid and go to jail perhaps if you had to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I that wouldn't be ideal. I, mm-hmm. I mean, my lawyer. <laughs> By the way, when, when the child goes into the water, it's it's waving at you saying, Mommy, help me, help me. Well, oh, I don't know. <laughs> what, who, listen, here's the thing. What you say in theory, what you do, um, and what you actually do when you're there versus not there are two different things. You're going to kill that kid. But, Ronnie, what would you do if your kid was a bad seed? I would actually be that horrible parent, uh, perhaps like those parents who denied looking at their kids straight on, who exhibited all this bad behavior before shooting up those kids in school, unfortunately. I, my answer is I would ignore it, unfortunately. I, would, I wouldn't know what to do. I would compartmentalize the whole horror, clean up the mess of a dead dog, oh. and do my best to push little Eugenia May to do something else. Ugh. Okay, so, okay, now you've done that. You've compartmentalized, and now it's 10 years later, and then now there's a series of unsolved serial killings in your neighborhood, and you know little Eugenia May is responsible. What do you do then? Well, I, I hope that I could turn her in, I, to the police, that is. And uh, I've asked this question at work, actually, over the years to my coworkers. And I would say, what would you do if you found out that your child was a, a psychopathic serial killer and exhibited, you know, this murderous behavior early on with the animals? And, and it just was so cold and wasn't, didn't have these emotions that you would want it to have. And the, the answers from my coworkers were varied. Most people would say they would do everything to find a cure. And then when all this failed, and they, they all felt a certain degree that it would fail, they would give the child up to the state. And I thought that was a very interesting answer. And I'm surprised that a lot of them came up to that conclusion because it's, I, I wouldn't even thought that you could go that direction. And that was a majority of the people. But then a few people said... Um, no good could come of this child and they would just have to kill it. And it's very abrupt, the logic and thinking, and it's a, the kind of thinking that you came up with. And uh, But I, I couldn't say that was wrong or right. I, I didn't know. I'm sure that's that speaks to some kind of flaw in my my um, morality, I'm sure. And then, Sounds well, more humane than what I did. I don't I mean, know. But, so. well, mine, my answer... Which, which was the only one who gave this answer, was that I would, I would ignore it. Okay, so now what's your thought process of ignoring it? Like, oh, that's, that's a very good question, <laughs> and I'm going to ignore it. No, I'm not. I think, <laughs> I think that maybe I'm ridiculously idealistic. I think that perhaps somewhere down the road something could change, perhaps a new cure, a new therapy, or maybe that little Eugenia May could just, just grow out of it. It's oh. a phase. <laughs> Oh, yes, darling. Little Eugenie May went through that awkward phase that all children go through. They kill the cat, skin the cat, display its severed head on a stake in the backyard. I hate those awkward phases. Well, let me tell you, just to give you the most ridiculous idea of hope, there is a touring uh, show for science 
uh, called Bodies in Motion. And it's, um, you walk through, I remember in LA, I've seen it twice. In LA, it was at the Natural History Museum, I believe. And you'd walk through a, two or three floors of, of cadavers. And these cadavers have been injected with plasticine, I believe. And they were, they were all kind of frozen in motion. You can see them in motion with their skin off. And you see these bodies on skateboards. You see pregnant women. You see, um, you know, uh, walking people. You see just their nerves. You see all their muscles. And it's all done for science. And you just think, the guy, the scientist has came up with this. Thank God they came up with this thing as a hobby because I don't know what they would do in life <laughs> if they didn't have this as their life calling. So maybe little Eugenia May... Little Eugenia May could not necessarily be Dexter, could not, but maybe be the scientist who invented, you know, these bodies and motions exhibit that everyone pays a huge amount of money to go see, or like that mortician you the talked about. Yeah. What was that? What did that okay. mortician do? It was in the Atlantic Order. This guy named Carl. He went to the treatment as a facility as a kid. He graduated, and when he got out. He decided to become a mortician because basically he he said he liked cutting up things and it was a harmless way to sort of explore that morbid curiosity of his. And he ended up married and had a company. He said he had to fake learning how to be like um, have empathy for people, grieving people, but he got really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, what happened is by the time the journalist in the Atlantic went back to interview him, he was arrested for like a domestic violence, three misdemeanors, but he ended up back in jail. Um, but, you know, it's still better than being a serial killer. Well, maybe let's say, maybe it is genetic, but maybe socially, nurturing wise, Um, there is something we can do. Maybe we just have to face it head on, not call them monsters, but trust or it's, (laughs) and then redirect them to something more productive. But I don't know how many productive ways of doing this. I can tell like to little eight-year-old Eugenia May, all right, can you come up with a new way to bury a body or to cremate (laughs) it so we can save land? You know, without trying to like going out to find someone new, can you just sort of like... Let's just buy some dolls and figure it out. You know, you're such a supportive father. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you, I mean, we discussed in the last podcast getting rid of the body, which, by the way, this body that you just got rid of your child is kind of similar how you got rid of the body in uh, the second podcast on how to get rid of the body. But let me ask you, how would you explain your missing child, Dennis Jr.? What happened to Dennis Jr.? You didn't hear Dennis Jr. ran away. He didn't even leave a note. He even stole some money out of my purse. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. You're a sociopath. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) The memory of your son, Dennis Jr., will haunt you forever. Oh, just like Al Capone was haunted by the ghost of a man he killed, I will be riddled with guilt and stalked by my son's vengeful ghost. And that is the topic of our next episode. Ghost. Ghost are a sign of misery, longing, and loneliness. We are all haunted by something. Or someone. Ghosts. Ghosts.